Brought to you by RunToGold.com, the premier source for monetary science applied to geopolitical, international, and economic financial news and events. Welcome back to the 34th episode of the RunToGold.com podcast. This uh, episode is from an interview I did with Harry uh, Douglas on his Car Concerns uh, radio show in Knoxville, Tennessee. My next guest is uh, Trace Meyer. He wrote the book, The Great Credit Contradiction. Uh, contraction. And uh, here's a quote. He says, we've already jumped from the plane. It's just a matter of when and how hard we will hit the ground. Welcome to the show, Trace. Hi, Harry. How you doing? Great, great. Tell me, wh- why'd you write this book? Well, the main reason I wrote the book is uh, because I got so many questions on this topic. I, I've studied economics a lot. I've studied a lot of business. And so uh, a couple of years ago, I'd always be talking with people about economics and, and talking about, oh, man, we've got something really big coming down, and it's going to be bad. And, and nobody seemed to understand what was happening. So I started a website because I, I just couldn't talk to, to all the people that had the questions. And eventually the website started getting you know hundreds of hits, and then people started requesting a foundational document on uh, the economic laws that are at work that are uh, causing what's happening. And so that's the reason I wrote the book is because I got so much requests from people because they wanted to understand what was happening and why. Okay, let's talk about the website for a second. I'm on the website, uh, the contradiction, uh, creditcontraction.com, excuse me, creditcontraction. Oh, yeah, my my main website is called runtogold.com, and then uh, creditcontraction.com is where people can actually purchase the book. That's right. Uh, you can get the ebook right there. Credit the Great Credit Contraction, and it's at uh, creditcontraction.com. Okay, let's bring in Larry Bradley, who is my co-host every Tuesday and Thursday from Omaha, Nebraska. Larry, do you have any questions here? Absolutely, Trace. Uh, please say again because I didn't quite hear it. Maybe our listeners didn't either. You say you have a main website, and the, the uh, Credit Contraction is to sell the book. What's the main website again, please? Uh, my main website is called runtogold.com. Okay. Runtogold.com. Okay. Yeah, and, and what I do at Run to Gold, I, I publish articles on a pretty regular basis where I apply monetary science to the current events that are going on in the world economy. And you are a scientist, right? A monetary scientist. A monetary so, scientist. So I study monetary theory. I have a degree in accounting and also a degree in law. Uh, so I, I come to I come to the, the field with with a pretty interesting background, and then I have also studied extensively in the Austrian School of Economics, okay. uh, which is like Ludwig von Mises and Murray Rothbard, as opposed to the classical uh, Keynesian School of Economics or uh, even the Chicago School. And I see here main branches. I see here where you have a degree in accounting from Brigham Young and a law degree from uh, the California Western School of Law. Yes, sir. I tell you what, you you come with some great credentials. Okay, uh, tell me what the six financial mistakes that our government is making right now. Oh, okay. Well, this is uh, this is really big. I wrote an article called "How to Intentionally Exacerbate the Greater Depression," and in a book written, you know, in 1963. So this is a decades-old book. Uh, Murray Rothbard, one of the great economists of the Austrian School laid out these six uh, government policies that could really hobble the adjustment process of the economy that will prolong a depression. And so the first thing that governments could do is they could prevent or delay the liquidation of bad assets. The second thing they could do is they could inflate the currency supply further, uh, you know, printing the money out of thin air. The third thing that they would do is they would uh, keep wage rates up. They would keep wage rates high. The fourth thing, uh, which is related to the wage rates, would they would be uh, to keep the prices high. And then uh, the fifth thing they would do is stimulate consumption and discourage savings. And then the sixth thing would be to subsidize unemployment. And so in this case, with our current economy, uh, President Obama is doing all six of these things uh, to, a, to a very massive degree that we haven't seen before in America. So this is only going to uh, intentionally exacerbate the Greater Depression and prolong it and make it more painful than it otherwise would need to be. 
I see, I see. Larry, anything you want to throw in there? What what options did we have? Speak up, Larry. I can barely hear you. Speak up, Larry. I can okay. barely hear you. Okay. What options did we have uh, to do other than what we're doing, Trace? In other words, if if those are the things the wrong things to do, what would you what would you, what should we have done instead? Well, that that's an interesting question. As a monetary scientist in the Austrian School, uh, <clears throat> I do try to present things objectively uh, versus. Subjectively, I try to distinguish when I do the two. And so when you ask, well, what should we do? That's very much a subjective uh, value judgment. You know, well, what should we do? That's, that's left in the realm of politics. Uh, but, you know, my own personal belief is, well, I, I like freedom, peace, and prosperity. I like to have uh, a lot of wealth for society. And so uh, what I personally would like to see happen is, for these six things, uh, for the government policies not to uh, intentionally exacerbate the depression, I'd like to see the liquidation of bad assets happen in a quicker, uh, more orderly, well, it wouldn't necessarily be more orderly, but just in a quicker way. For example, uh, they changed the accounting standards uh, to make it even more uh, even harder to value the assets that are on the bank's balance sheets and the other corporations' balance sheets. Well, we could have not done that. We could have instead marked these assets to market and let a lot of these uh, large institutions fail if they uh, had bad assets on their books. But instead, we step in and we prevent this liquidation, and then we inflate the currency supply, print a bunch of money out of thin air, and bail out some of these uh, institutions with that money. And so really what that does is it, it destroys a lot of wealth. And I don't think that that's something that we should do, but it is uh, nonetheless what we have done. And so there will be consequences to that. And uh, those consequences will be that the depression will be even worse than, uh, than it otherwise normally would have been. So what we should we do, what should we be doing now? I mean that's that's still kind of the basic question. If well, you know, well, mean, what what should we do is really left to the American people. See, if we let these large institutions and organizations fail, then it will be very painful politically in the short term, and so that's why we're bailing them out. Uh, it's it's kind of the same thing that we see happening over in China. They have a bunch of these state-owned enterprises that operate at a loss. Uh, but they continue to, to waste a lot of their wealth by perpetuating these state-owned enterprises because it would be more painful politically uh, to let them fail. And I think that that's the same thinking that's coming out of Washington, is that, well, we don't want to have uh, Bank of America and Citigroup and General Motors and Chrysler and General Electric, we don't want to have all these companies fail all uh, within a very short time, because that would lead to a lot of change in our economy uh, all at once. And so, I mean, I can see where they, where their, where their thinking is and their analysis is, and it's it's really uh, up for debate in the political sphere as far as uh, what we should do. I think we should let them fail, uh, but you know that would that would definitely uh, upset a lot of people's individual lives, and they would have to find different ways to to make money. <laughs> and, you know, that, that type of change is not very politically uh, appealing, even though in the long run we will, we will all suffer a lot more uh, from, from not taking the medicine early. <laughs> it's kind of like, uh, by analogy, on Friday night the Fed uh, bought a bunch of alcohol and they served it all up at the party, and now it's Saturday morning and and everybody's kind of got a hangover, and and to cure the headache, they want to just drink more alcohol. <laughs> well, it's not going to cure the problem, but it will at least make the headache go away for uh, a couple years. And hopefully, uh, you know, the politicians, because of how their election cycle is, well, they just want to push off the headache for a couple years so they can get reelected. <laughs> so we just keep uh, pushing off the headache, unfortunately. <laughs> And, and prevent the healing process from, from taking place. All right, if you ever get a hangover, here it is, tomato juice and a beer, mix it 50-50, it'll go away. Yeah, that'll fix it. Well, actually, the solution to our current monetary problems and our economic problems are very simple. 
and they're contained in the Constitution of the United States. Uh, and, and the reason we're in this mess is because we've ignored those principles and that fundamental law of the land, that supreme law of the land. We've ignored it, and that's why we're in the problem that we're in. Give me an example of what you mean by that. Well, this is uh, straight from Chapter 1 of my book. Uh, there, when, we, when we talk about money and currency, we, we aren't very specific with our definitions, and there's a reason for that because, you know, if we can keep people in ignorance, then we can keep ripping them off, basically. And so what I do is I distinguish between currency, which is, what is, the, which is the medium of exchange that we use in our ordinary daily transactions, and money, money substitutes and illusions. And so money uh, must be a tangible asset. It's got to be a commodity. A money substitute would be a credit instrument, a bill of credit, which would give you claim on that money. And an illusion would just be something that's uh, a complete illusion. It has no claim on purchasing power. And so in Article One, Section 8, Clause 5 of the U.S. Constitution, uh, which Article One, Section 8 is the powers delegated to Congress, Congress has given the power to, quote, coin money and regulate the value thereof. And so the Constitution doesn't say what money is, only that it's something that's coined rather than printed. Now, in Article 1, Section 10, Clause 1 of the U.S. Constitution, the states are prohibited from engaging in certain powers, uh, engaging in certain activities. And then, under and then under the Tenth Amendment, any powers not specifically delegated to the federal government are retained by the states or by the people themselves. And so under Article I, Section 10, Clause 1, it states that no state shall emit bills of credit or make anything but gold and silver coin a tender and payment of debt. And so what we have in our current monetary system is we have an illusion, which is the Federal Reserve note dollar. In effect, it's a bill of credit that is guaranteed no purchasing power. And the federal government, under 31 U.S.C. 5101, through 5118, which sets up the U.S. monetary system, they've made this Federal Reserve note dollar legal tender for all debts, public and private. It's put right on your $20 bill. And this uh, power to make anything legal tender was never granted to the federal government. And, the, and so it's retained by the people or by the states. And so the states, they can, be, they can make stuff legal tender but they can only make gold and silver legal tender under Article One, Section 10. And so the problem we've got is that we've disobeyed the Constitution, and in the process we've taken on additional risk in our currency, which is that medium of exchange in our daily transaction. And that risk has led to these malinvestments and misallocations of capital. And the Founding Fathers understood this problem very well because it was the continental dollar that uh, really uh, led to a lot of the exact same problems during their time. And out of that came the Constitution, and they, they were like, no way are we going back to illusions and paper currency. So they, they wrote these clauses, these monetary powers and disabilities, directly into the Constitution. And so if we wanted to fix our current monetary system, it would be very simple. Uh, what we would do is we would eliminate the 28% rate gain tax on gold and silver uh, as collectibles. Then we would uh, remove the legal tender status of Federal Reserve note dollars. And so you wouldn't be able to fashion them uh, in judgments when you go to court. You wouldn't be able to demand payment in Federal Reserve notes. And instead, uh, we'd just use the legal tender of gold and silver, which they actually are legal tender still under federal, federal law. And so that's the, that's the two things that we need to do to completely uh, cure almost all of our economic ills. And the reason this would cure it is because it would remove the risk between uh, our currency and our purchasing power because the illusion, the Federal Reserve note, can become absolutely worthless through hyperinflation. And so that's... That's the risk, and, it, and as they continue to remember, the second point as they continue to inflate further, what it causes is this illusion to evaporate, 
and become worth less and less until eventually it's not worth anything. And when that currency then of hyperinflation happens, well, that leads to shortages and rationing and all types of other problems. So that, that's a little bit of our monetary history and our monetary law and how we've strayed from it and are now in the circumstances that we're in. And it's actually a very natural and predictable consequence of straying from that monetary law, that monetary law because it's happened time after time after time to every country uh, and every nation that's ever tried to do it. <laughs> so, I mean, it's kind of like a ball. When you drop the ball, it goes to the ground. It doesn't put into the air. Well, why should we think we're any different than hundreds of other countries throughout history? Hey, we're talking to Trace Meyer. He's wrote the book, uh, The Great Credit Contraction. And when we get back, uh, I'm going to ask him how we can profit and generate wealth despite these contracting markets. Hey, we'll be right back with Car Concerns after the break when your money is on the line, and I'm proving it right here. Call the line that's on the money. That's Car Concerns. You can call us at 675-8255 at 675-TALK or outside of the calling area, 1-877-958-5850. That's 1-877-958-5850. Car Concerns, right back after the break. American Motorist Vote Campaign continues to roll on down the highway, signing up masses of American motorists who are fed up with the burdens that are placed on them. Poor highway and road infrastructure, high gasoline tax, toll roads everywhere. The pending cap and tax program that is making its way through Congress that promises high fuel prices from now on. Harry is fighting for the American motorists every minute of every day, calling on your Congress and Senate representatives to remind them that the millions upon millions of American voters are watching, listening, and voting. We don't get fooled again. Oh, no. That's AmericanMotoristVote.com. American Motorist Vote Campaign. Our power is in our numbers. Let's don't get fooled again. Attention 2009 automotive retail consumers. With new car and truck sales at the slowest and lowest pace in decades, 2009 could very well be a car buyer's market. Harry Douglas has established a network of new car dealers to sell Car Concerns listeners brand new vehicles at greatly reduced prices. These are prices that they will never advertise. Become a Car Concerns satisfied retail automotive consumer. Call 622-3032. That's 622-3032 or email harry at carconcerns.com. That's harry at carconcerns.com. Attention 2009 automotive retail consumers. With new car and truck sales at the slowest and lowest pace in decades, 2009 could very well be a car buyer's market. Harry Douglas has established a network of new car dealers to sell Car Concerns listeners brand new vehicles at greatly reduced prices. These are prices that they will never advertise. Become a Car Concerns satisfied retail automotive consumer. Call 622-3032. That's 622-3032 or email harry at carconcerns.com. That's harry at carconcerns.com. Harco Enterprises in the Grove Center in Oak Ridge is the place to go for your company's logo needs. They can create your company an identifying logo and screen print or embroider it on ball caps, T-shirts, or just about anything that you use to get your message out. They do our Car Concerns T-shirts, and they look great. That's Harco Enterprises, Grove Center, Oak Ridge. Their phone number is 483-6814. Do you have daily expenses that are weighing on your budget? Let's face it, the economic future is not so bright that we have to wear sunglasses. Have you considered a reverse mortgage? There's no income or credit requirements to qualify. You continue to live in the home and you hold the deed. No payment is ever due on your home as long as you live in your home. If you are 62 years of age and own your home, you may qualify for a reverse mortgage. The National 
National Reverse Mortgage Lender Association defines reverse mortgage as a special type of loan used by senior Americans to convert the equity in their home into cold, hard cash. The money you receive from the reverse mortgage can be used for anything. Call 865-622-3032. Hey, an operator is waiting to help you qualify for a reverse mortgage. Call today. That's 865-622-3032. The all-new carconcerns.com is live. Now you can ride shotgun with Harry on your computer via live streaming audio no matter where you are on the most informative automotive website on the Internet, www.carconcerns.com. It's your one-stop shop for all things automotive. And while you're there, check out Harry's vehicle consumer CDs, The Truth About Car Buying. Join the live broadcast from the Horn Radio Network on your PC every Monday through Friday starting at 9 a.m. So what are you waiting for? Visit www.carconcerns.com today. Talk Radio 850 WKVL, Knoxville. WGAP, Maryville. WLOD, Loudon. The Horn Radio Network. This is Car Concern with your host, Harry Douglas. If you have a car-related question, call 675-8255. Or if you're outside the 865 area code, call us toll-free at 877-958-5850. Now, here's Harry. Okay, I just want to tell you, Friday morning right here on Car Concern, I'm going to have uh, Robert Parrish. He is a coordinator for the Georgia Mountain Moonshine Cruise in, which is in Hawassi, Georgia, August 13th, 14th, and 15th. These guys are all the time up at uh, Pigeon Forge. So he's going to be on the show uh, Friday morning in the 10 o'clock hour. He's going to tell us what the moonshine cruising's up to and uh, all the great cars there. Anyhow, let's go back to my guest here, Trace Meyer. Larry, are you still with us? Uh, I am still, yes. Hey, any questions for Trace on uh, his book, The Great Credit Contraction? Well, Trace, I, I halfway understood what you were talking about. I'm not sure uh, that our, our listeners do. Hold on, let's back it up here just a little bit. In other words, what is the value of our money based on? Can we talk about that just a little bit and, and maybe give people some background? You might even want to, I don't know how far back you want to go, but we, we had way back at the turn of the uh, 20th century, we, we had this uh, thing going on about a debate about whether the value of the money ought to be based on silver or based on gold. And, Maybe right. you can educate us a little bit on that as well. Okay. Uh, well, I'll just go back to the founding uh, of the country. We we actually used what were called uh, Spanish uh, – they, they were pieces of aid. They were the Spanish milled dollar. And under the 1792 Coinage Act, a dollar was defined as 371.25 grains of silver. And so uh, remember Article 1, Section 8 – uh, Congress can coin money and regulate the value thereof. So they said that a dollar was uh, 371.25 grains of fine silver. Well, imagine the problem we would have uh, in performing calculations if we changed the definition of a year from 365 days uh, to 10 days or 50 days. You know, imagine if a year meant both. Uh, we, we, we would have all types of problems, wouldn't we? I mean, the president can be president for four years, but, but four years can be either 40 days or 200 days. Well, unfortunately, that's the problem we've got, is that we've taken this definition, this unit of measurement called the dollar, and we've changed its definition over time. And so it was silver, and then uh, we actually defined it as uh, also as gold, so uh, one ounce of gold was equal to $20.67, uh, and then we had this big debate in the 1896 election with William Jennings Bryan, and he's, you know, he wanted to free an unlimited coinage of silver. Uh, he gave his great speech, you shall not crucify mankind upon a cross of gold. Uh, well, anyways, we created the Federal Reserve in 1913, and the Federal Reserve is a private uh, organization. It's a private bank that's owned by the large banks throughout the nation. And now the Federal Reserve has issued 
is Federal Reserve notes, which are liabilities of the Federal Reserve. And initially, these notes uh, were redeemable for lawful money. So you could get gold or silver for them. You could get something real, you know, something in your hand. Uh, but eventually, uh, for example, John F. Kennedy, he tried to uh, allow for the silver notes to be produced. Well, a couple months later, there was that unfortunate event where he was assassinated. And uh, then a little bit later, the, the redeemability into silver was completely revoked in 1968. And in 1971, oh, and going back a little bit earlier, in 1933, Roosevelt made it illegal to hold gold coins and uh, basically said, well, we know we promised all y'all a bunch of gold for your, for your notes, but we're not giving you any gold. And if you have any gold, we're going to throw you in jail because I guess gold is so dangerous to, uh, to governments and politicians. A financial weapon of mass destruction, if you will. Uh, so 1968, they, the, the government defaulted on all its silver obligations. And then in 1971, uh, President Nixon uh, closed the gold window. So all the international uh, players, all the, you know, like France and England, they held a bunch of dollars which could be converted for gold. Well, Nixon said, well, we're not going to pay any gold. Uh, and so in 1971, the dollar, the Federal Reserve note dollar, became backed by absolutely nothing. It became a complete illusion of purchasing power. And so even though it'll still buy something today, you're not actually guaranteed uh, to be able to purchase, any, purchase anything with it. And so now our currency, as opposed to our money, our currency, the, the Federal Reserve note dollars in our wallets, they're backed by absolutely nothing. You can't buy anything. You're not guaranteed to buy anything with them. Uh, whereas our money, uh, like a quarter or a nickel or a dime, well, that's actually a physical metal. That's zinc or steel or copper. So you're, you are guaranteed to be able to purchase something with that because it's a tangible asset. In other words, it, it is real money. So we have this dual monetary system where we use illusions and money uh, and so some of our money does have intrinsic value, like our quarters or, or nickels or dimes, but uh, most of our money is just an illusion, and it's a digit in a database at a bank, which is, you know, it doesn't even exist as a, as a paper illusion. <laughs> so I, lo I love that analogy. That? I love that analogy. Uh, in my sales meeting to my salesman every morning, I was a new car dealer for over 25 years, and, and I, I used to say the, those exact words. I said, folks. We've got to go out here. We've got to create the illusion. And that's exactly what the government's done. Well, well and, you know, we, and, and you brought up William Jen Jennings Bryan, that election. Well, you know, that's when the Wizard of Oz was written, Wizard of Ounces. And you've got this wizard behind the curtain that's got to create this illusion. And, you know, oh, we've got to keep, keep it going as long as we can because eventually the illusion dissipates and people – wake up and realize that their, that their currency is an illusion, that it won't buy, it's not guaranteed to buy anything, and then they begin to move into different assets uh, to protect and preserve their capital. Because a lot of people work really hard, and, and they want to save, you know, for a rainy day, or they want to save for retirement, or, or they want to save to go on a vacation, whatever it is, and when you have an illusion their ability to save is greatly hindered. And so that's when people begin moving out of that illusion into different uh, assets hey, we're talking in order to, to protect and preserve their capital. We're talking to Trace Meyer. His book is The Great Credit Contraction. Hey, let's go to the phones. Hey, David, welcome to Car Concerns. Uh, thanks for calling in. You're calling in on WKVL 850. Any, uh, any question for Trace? No, no, I'm just glad to hear you all talking about it. I think if you'll remember, I've been – uh, preaching along these same lines for many for many years on this program, and uh, I think in better instead of uh, an illusion, I think a better term for it would be a Ponzi scheme. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, I mean that's true. what it is. Uh, that's what uh, that. As a matter of fact, that's what Trey says right here. He says today's financial markets are operating is, as if they're a part of the world's largest Ponzi scheme. Well, they are a Ponzi scheme. That's all. That's all it is. And when the American, the only thing that backs our money is the good faith of the American people. And when they figure out, you know, what it is, it's going to be a problem. But 
you know uh, those silver certificates that Kennedy issued? Right. If they had been allowed to produce those in great numbers, it would have made those little green things you've got your bill for now expensive toilet paper. That's all they right. would have been worth. And uh, I've said forever, you know, that's not the only reason Kennedy was killed. But if you'd been producing those for, what, 40-some years, and somebody came along and said, hey, I, you know, that may be unconstitutional and illegal, I think I'm going to have the Treasury Department start printing these silver certificates, and you were... Money didn't mean anything to you. All you had to do was print it. All your friends were extremely wealthy because they knew you, and, can, you know, it's power. And uh, what do you think would happen to that person? It's a real simple decision. Well, well exactly. I mean, because what you're talking about is the ethics of money production. You know, why is, why is a certain group allowed to, to just print up as much of these uh, little paper tickets, and anyone else who does it, uh, can actually go to jail if they print up these, you know, if they if they put up print up counterfeit paper tickets. And well, so, uh, really, like the, 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 what's that? Like the Hunt Brothers with silver. That was a little bit different situation, but the government right. doesn't like competition and corruption. <laughs> well, they I do mean, like their monopoly on violence. I'll give you that. <laughs> can I bring one other thing up, Harry? Go ahead. I, you know, and I, I think it's along the same line. Uh, but and and I tried to do this on Teach program also, but the Bilderberg Group met this last week in Greece. Have you seen anything about it in the newspaper or on television? I have not. Well, it's been in the news all over the world except here in the U.S. And why is that? A, we we have a free press, don't we? Why well, why why is that? Well, if you'll look, some why of won't our, we cover it? Some of our more affluent. Uh, people who are owners and, and who make the decisions about what goes into print and on, on our television programs are members of this group, and they take an oath of silence. Basically, not, well, not an oath of silence, but they agree that they're not going to reveal uh, what's been said. But when these people meet, they make policy decisions on our money and everything else, and when they make a decision, shortly thereafter, it starts happening. But yet we get no coverage in this country from any type of media, and uh, I don't I don't know your guest that well, but I would say I would hope that he would agree with me on that because they do make monetary decisions for us. You have seven banks that make up the Federal Reserve, if I remember correctly. Four of them based outside the continental U.S., which is unconstitutional as well as illegal. Right. And uh, guys. Uh, you know, you got about 15 families that own those seven banks, and they are the people that control what goes on in this country and everywhere else. Well, them and big oil. I don't argue with you there. Hey, uh, hey, Trace, what do you got to say to that? Well, I, I definitely agree that under Article One, Section Eight, the powers granted to Congress that there is no authority uh, granted to the federal government to create Federal Reserve. Oh, you there? Yes, yes. I'm sorry, David dropped off. Oh, that's good. Uh, so there's no authority under the Constitution for the creation of a central bank. And uh, so the Federal Reserve, created under the Federal Reserve Act of 1913 and as amended, that's an unconstitutional law. Now, its unconstitutionality has never been addressed uh, before the Supreme Court. Uh, but I agree that, you know, we, we should repeal that act, have our congressmen repeal that act, and uh, dissolute uh, the, the Federal Reserve. Uh, why do we need it? We, we, I don't think that we need it uh, personally, and it's unconstitutional. Uh, so I think we should be following the supreme law of the land. And okay. Okay, we'll do a break right here, but I'm going to go through it. Let's go to Mike. Mike calling in on WKVL 850. Hey, Mike, welcome hey. to Car Concerns. Did you have a question for Trace? Yes, sir, I, I do. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Uh, during the Bush administration, there was some talk about uh, uh, relying on oil as the new, uh, uh, basically, monetary currency. Did you uh, discuss some uh, on that point, and how is it that uh, we moved out? I mean, some of the reasons why we moved out of the uh, gold uh, standard and uh, why the silver standard that's been, that has been fought for since actually the mid-1800s uh, was never accepted? Uh, okay, I'll, I'll address your issue of why the government's moved away from the gold standard. Uh, the, the great economist Ludwig von Mises, he said that uh, to understand the importance of sound money, you have to understand that it's devised 
as a bulwark against despotic inroads on the part of government. It belongs in the same class as uh, uh, political constitutions and bills of rights. And so the reason we've moved away from uh, a sound money standard, whether it's gold or silver or platinum or palladium, uh, doesn't really matter. It just has to be a tangible asset. The reason we moved away from that is so that the government can engage in, in inflation, which is a form of confiscation and taxation without representation and without due process of law. And so what it allows is it allows the government to uh, take property without getting the voters' consent. And government, because they like to increase their own power and uh, feed those resources to special interests, uh, that's mainly the reason we've moved away from a sound money standard uh, onto this illusion, so that it can favor uh, certain special interests and certain political groups, and at the uh, cost of the regular uh, working person. Uh, and what was the what was the other issue you wanted me to address? Well, the other issue was uh, during the uh, Bush administration, there was extremely serious talk uh, of uh, converting oil to the new uh, standard. Yeah, uh, petroleum, this is, uh, the new standard, is, and there was even some movements into allowing certain individuals to uh, acquire uh, quantities, uh, and then to use those quantities and the contracts as a means of currency. Right. Now, this, is a very, this, this is a very interesting issue uh, using oil as a as a currency uh, because oil is very expensive to store, uh, whereas uh -huh. gold or some other metal uh, is not. Dropped off. I'm sorry about that. Somebody dropped off. I can't. I can't tell. No, I think Mike's still there. But anyhow, go ahead and kill Mike, and we'll see where it's at. Okay. I'm uh, sorry about that. Oh, okay. Um, uh, addressing his, his issue about oil as a currency. So oil is expensive to store, and uh, whereas a metal is not as expensive to guard. You can stick it in a vault and it's just fine, but oil leaks or corrodes things. And uh, what we're seeing is that oil is beginning to trade like a currency, mm -hmm. but because it's now in backwardation, which is where the price for delivery in the future is more than the price currently, getting to be a lot of stockpiles of oil, and so they're storing it in super oil tankers uh, all over the world. And this is, uh, this, is, this is only showing that the market is searching for some asset to function as, the, as money, and because so many people don't really view gold as money, uh, it hasn't really come into, it, come into its own yet, but it will because uh, that's where people always go for the safety and liquidity because its cost of storage is much uh, lower, and therefore it's a much more competitive currency than something like oil or wheat or soybeans or cattle, for example. Uh, may I ask one more question, Harry? Yeah, go ahead, Mike. Okay. Uh, the, the price of gold is now hovering around 900 to 850. Do you see a movement for gold uh, to reach uh, uh, higher than that, significantly higher, and then – uh, is there a way to uh, prevent speculation uh, and hoarding of gold like it was uh, previously and with oil currently? Well, the, the way to prevent hoarding is the same thing they did in 1933. You can round up people, throw them in concentration camps, and murder them. Uh, that's what Lenin did. That's what Hitler did. That's what Franklin D. Roosevelt did. Uh, all of this to prevent the credit liquidation, and to pro which, which has the effect of prolonging the depression. Uh, but as far as like where gold will go, uh, th this is what I talk about extensively on my site. And it's not necessarily that one should buy gold. That's a question. You should buy gold if it's cheap. You should sell it if it's expensive. But gold's role is in being able to provide the mental calculations of value and being able to determine whether something is cheap or whether something is expensive. And because the, the Federal Reserve note is an illusion, it's impossible to really perform those measurements because it's a moving ruler, whereas gold is always uh, the same. And so what I do is I look at the relationship between gold and other assets like the Dow or real estate, uh, for example, uh, if you go to the homepage, you'll see the S&P 500 priced in gold over the last 30 years. And so you can see where the stocks are cheap and where the stocks are expensive. 
And so that's uh, how I determine whether gold is, is a good purchase or not, because gold is not a portfolio asset, uh, which is how you're viewing it. Uh, instead, everything else is. Uh, and you have to use gold to denominate your balance sheets to, to determine where you're at financially. It's, it's, your, it's your measuring stick. Anything else, Mike? No, that's basically what I was asking. I mean, the one thing that I do have with regard to any of these commodities being used as a standard is I'm sure you remember what happened during the 70s and 80s. You had certain individuals uh, hoarding silver, uh, doing the same thing basically with this, with, with what they did with oil. You're talking about the Hunt brothers? Hunt, well, yes, there were others in Texas. Uh, one person had uh, accumulated uh, an entire uh, underground uh, storage and uh, hoarded it till the price went to unsustainable heights, uh, started selling it slowly, slowly. And then uh, when he got his profit off of it, a uh, huge profit, seems to be like occurring, uh, a reoccurring uh, theme here. Uh, they dumped it on the market, and uh, I know one person, a uh, family member, who actually lost uh, quite a few dollars uh, on that. Right. Uh, well, the, the monetary metals, just like the Federal Reserve note dollars or, or the Brazilian reals, sometimes they're cheap and sometimes they're expensive. Uh, for example, real recently, the, the United States Treasuries uh, got to be pretty expensive, you know, so it was, it, it was in people's best interest to probably sell them and buy something else. So sometimes they're good to buy, sometimes they're good to sell, but the real value of them uh, comes in being able to use them as a measuring stick to know how much you need for retirement, for example, uh, and being able to uh, use that ruler to to make those calculations. Otherwise, you're going to build a really uh, lopsided castle that's not very stable. Exactly. And I do thank you uh, for your uh, answering my questions, and thank you, Harry, for taking my call today. Hey, Mike, as always, you're a welcome guest on Car Concerns. Hey, I'm going to take a break right well, here. Hey, this is Car Concerns. When your money's on the line, call the line that's on the money. We're going to be right back with Trace Meyer. We'll finish the hour out. His book is The Great Credit Contraction. Hey, Trace, where you buy that book? Uh, you can get it. Uh, just go to runtogold.com, and there's uh, a banner. You can go click on to, to find the book. Okay. Hey, thanks a lot. Hey, we'll be right back with you right after the break. This is Harry Douglas. This is Car Concerns. Hey, don't forget Larry Bradley up in Omaha, Nebraska, thecenterstrikesback.com. Hey, Larry, we'll be right back with you as well. Camry, and Chevy Malibu. They all have safety features to help you during a crash. Let's see what happens after they crash into a wall in this test facility. First the Accord, now the Camry, and finally the Chevy Malibu. This is OnStar. I received a signal that your Malibu's been in a crash. Do you need help? Only Chevy Malibu is there for you after a crash. When you have OnStar automatic crash response, sensors built into the car can automatically alert an OnStar advisor who immediately connects into your vehicle to see if you need help. She can forward crash details and your exact location to emergency personnel even if you can't respond, which tends to leave the competition speechless. OnStar is standard for one year on 11 Chevy vehicles. HarryLane.net is anything and everything automotive. Buying a new car? Listen to Harry's Car Buyer Sales Meeting, which will school you exactly how to go to the dealership and when. Harry answers all your car concerns on HarryLane.net, the WebMD.com of all automotive websites. HarryLane.net to access, call 622-3032. That's 622-3032. More and more Car Concerns listeners are using the MPG gas caplet that Harry talks about on Car Concerns. Get up to 20% more miles per gallon. Harry is seeking 10 self-starting individuals who want to tell their friends and family about this incredible MPG gas caplet, getting you more miles per gallon while helping the environment through lower emissions out of your tailpipe. This is your opportunity to be in a fast-growing business with the earning potential that is unlimited. Enroll now at www.stayonfulllonger.com. That's stayonfulllonger.com, or call now, 622-3032, 622-3032, 622-3032. 
Perry is all out to put more healthy drivers on the road. There is no more important part on your automobile than you yourself. In order for your vehicle to operate at 100% of its performance level, the driver has to be alert and comprehensive at all times. Perry has discovered a miracle of nature with the incredible drinks from the Moringa plant. Vija is 100% natural and rich in vitamins, minerals, amino acids, and other beneficial nutrients. Order now at HealthyDriver.com. That's HealthyDriver.com. Call now at 865-622-3032. 865-622-3032. That's 865-622-3032. Advanced Transmissions in Lenore City is Car Concern Certified. Expert transmission work is the product of Advanced Transmission in Lenore City. With the American Automobile Association seal of approval, Larry Ashley and Jack Harrison offer you their years of transmission services at affordable rates. Located at 200 West Broadway in Lenore City, Advanced Transmissions has just received the complaint-free year award from the Better Business Bureau. Want to get it fixed right the first time? Then take your vehicle's transmission needs to Advanced Transmissions in Lenore City. Free towing. Call them at 865-986-5050. That's 865-986-5050. Advanced Transmissions is car concern certified. This is Car Concern with your host, Harry Douglas. If you have a car-related question, call 675-8255. Or if you're outside the 865 area code, call us toll-free at 877-958-5850. Now, here's Harry. Hey, don't forget about my Harry's uh, Green Dragon Cockroach Killer. Hey, if you want to learn more about it, just email me, Harry, at carconcerns.com. It's a cockroach killer that's tough on roaches and not on you. Kills roaches, water bugs, and silverfish. I use it at my home. I wouldn't use anybody else. It's 100% green. It's 100% environmentally safe. Uh, no more toxic than table salt. Anyhow, let's go to Brian. He has a question for Trace. Hey, uh, Brian, welcome to Car Concerns. Oh, uh, thanks, Harry. Thanks for taking my call. Um, yes, sir. I'm... Uh, 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 just have uh, a question if he sees any correlation or any similarity to what's going on right now in 2009 and the uh, 1920 contraction of credit and the bank panic, um, where it seemed, I mean, uh, this was before my time, of course, I had to, to have read about it, but uh, it, it seemed that uh, the, the bankers of Wall Street were um, coming to the aid, as it were, uh, to the different corporations um, for control of those corporations. Now, Ford, I'm going to just say Ford particularly, because this is, after all, car concern. Right, right. And uh, it seems. Are you talking about? Are you talking about uh, the money that they loaned Ford uh, back a, a few years ago? No, I'm talking about 1920. Okay. When they tried to take over the company by lending their support, and Mr. Ford said uh, no because he absolutely saw investment bankers as vultures. He didn't want to sell his company out to them and have them have control over his company at the time. Okay. And um, you know, he told them no, and he started uh, sending cars out. Uh, he had to shut a few factories down, but he started sending the cars that he had out to the dealers, collect, and getting the money back later instead of from you know the folks. And he reduced the prices on his cars, even though there was you know the, you know no no good sense to do so in an inflation. Inflationary time, he did that. And do you see what Ford's trying to do right now to save themselves? Is anything like what happened in the twenties? Uh, you know, Ford's in the same boat as everybody. Although they have they have a uh, a little cushion there because Alan Mulally, when he came on board in two thousand six, he hawked the house for billions and billions of dollars, and that's what they've been burning through. But trust me, Ford's burning through cash just like General Motors and Chrysler are. Uh, they like to make you think that the, everything's fine at the house of Ford. Well, but, I mean, yeah, that's that's true. They're, they're on as shaky a ground as anybody else, but 
they are trying to stay away from the bailout by hawking even the Ford color, you know, that little blue Ford logo. The blue oval, right. Is in hock up to its eyes, but, you know, it's, uh, you know, it, it's been liquidating stuff as fast as it can to try to stay afloat. And, yes, it's burning through, what, $4 billion or, or at least a billion a month. And yeah, they think a triumph up there, they think a victory up there is when they slow the burn of uh, cash down. Trace, any comments on what we're talking about here? Yeah, well, to, to distinguish between the environments, in 1920, uh, the great inflationary credit expansion was still taking place. Uh, capital was moving into the less safe, less liquid assets. So uh, even uh, there was all this debt being taken on by the corporations and all this credit being extended uh, by the banks who just created it out of thin air. And then uh, as the contraction of the 20s began, which was just a minor contraction in contrast to what we're experiencing uh, now, uh, the bankers tried to seize control of all the various assets and things like that. Uh, but in 1933, Roosevelt made it illegal to hold gold. And what, what came out as a result of that is that the inflationary credit expansion continued uh, with the creation of the IMF and uh, Bretton Woods and as evidenced by uh, moving into using an illusion as currency in 1971 with Nixon. But this time around, in this case, we have the same problems uh, with corporations being loaded up with lots of debt and the assets being collateralized uh, with the credit contraction beginning. But how this is different uh, is that this time, uh, through the advent of the Internet and advances uh, in technology, is that we can move back to using a commodity as currency in ordinary daily transactions. We can, we can pay for a can of Coke with gold ounces uh, nowadays or with silver uh, through technological advances, whereas we didn't have these tools available to us uh, before last time. And so that's a reason why this is different is because as capital continues burrowing down uh, the liquidity pyramid, which I show in the free sample to my book, uh, as capital keeps burrowing down there, it evaporates all of this credit uh, that is attached to the corporation uh, like Ford. And and meantime, they're left gasping for air or uh, cash, which is the oxygen that the businesses run on. And so we're going to, as, as credit is revoked uh, from individuals and from corporations, it's going to suffocate a lot of these businesses, whether it's Ford or GM or GE or uh, individuals with their student loans or their credit card debt or their mortgages, because uh, getting getting those uh, Federal Reserve note dollars to make the debt payments is going to become increasingly more difficult because uh, there aren't being any created through new lending. And the ones that, that are there, a lot of them are being destroyed uh, as the debt defaults. Hey, Trace. Like Trace, i got to cut you off there. We're going to come up okay. against the CBS News. Hey, we've been talking to Trace Meyer. His book is The Great Credit Contradiction. Tell them where to get the book, Trace. Uh, RunToGold.com. RunToGold.com, folks. Hey, this is Larry Douglas. Hey, Larry Bradley up in Omaha, Nebraska. Thanks for being with me on the, this car concerns. Here comes the CBS News, whether I like it or not. Well, there you go. That's the 34th episode of the RunToGold.com podcast. Thanks. Talk to you later. You've been listening to the RunToGold.com podcast, the premier source for applied monetary science on the web.